0: Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we have a special guest. We're going to be a little less political today, though. You know I'm going to touch a little bit about that anyhow. Anyhow, Clint Paget is the president and CEO of Project Success, Inc. and the Forbes, uh, Forbes books author of How Teams Triumph, Managing by Commitment. He will discuss how the remote working trend that gained ground in 2020 might play out in 2021 and potentially could lead to communication breakdowns as employees are separated from each other and the boss. Anyhow, welcome to Politics Unright, Right. Clint, how are you doing today?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, look, let me tell you, first of all, I've been talking about this issue for a long time, uh, probably from a different perspective as far as what, uh, as far as our economy, never again going to see uh, everybody in the office again because many, many companies would have seen the efficiency of working from home, working remotely, and sometimes even getting more done. But I think you may have a, a little caveat to that, and it has to do with the difference between communication and conversation. So why don't you talk to me about that?
1: Sure, so I think also it'll it'll probably play well for you because I do think this has a, what I'm gonna talk about from a business perspective certainly plays in what we're seeing in the political arena and the diver, the lack of a diversity of thought where people are surrounding themselves in their own little silos. But yeah, so in the book, I have a chapter called communicate like a person, not an emoji. And it turns out in researching that chapter, I have been wrong my entire life, which is 57 years on what communication actually was. I thought communication is what you and I were doing right now, but that's not the case. Communication by definition is the act of expressing information or exchanging it, but expressing is communication, which can happen through a text message, through an email, through posting something on Slack or JIRA or Facebook. It's not what we're doing, which is actually having a dialogue. What we're doing is having a conversation and a conversation by definition is the oral exchange, keyword there being exchange, of information, thoughts, or ideas. So, when you have a conversation, you exchange information back and forth. You have a dialogue. People get to express their opinion. You get to understand their opinion. You might change your opinion. But when you have just when you just communicate, what normally happens is you post something, you put something in text, and it's a one-way communication. And you don't get anything back, which is definitely the problem.
0: Yeah, and I, I you know, I am with you right there. But I, I think um, it it means that we have to adopt a different modal in using these other tools, right? Let me ask you, let's go old school. Uh, would you have considered having a conversation with your boss on the telephone, a co- just communication or conversation?
1: I think that's a conversation. So I don't wanna say that face-to-face is the only way to do it. Conversation can obviously take a range of, of ways, but certainly I'll think about them on a continuum you have on the most, on the thing, all the way on the far left of the conversation spectrum you have text-based communication, which is hundred percent, just send an email, send a text message, post something. It's one way. And then you move up the spectrum. Now you're having phone conversations where at least I can, I can anticipate, I see the tone of what you're saying, right? Because with text-based stuff, how many times have you've, you've sent an email and somebody received it in a way in which you did not intend right. because you didn't intend for that. They took it in a different way, but now with fo- with voice, at least I get to hear the inflection points, I might be able to tell if you're getting mad through your voice and what you're saying to me, and I can maybe correct the situation. Then I go up to like what we're doing today on Zoom. Now I can see your face. I can see if you cross your arms and lean back, and I could take all that. But it's still not the same as face-to-face, where I see the entirety of your body and your body language. So I see it as a spectrum. And I certainly think you have to use them all. But I think face-to-face gives us the best communication we can possibly have.
0: You know, my daughter is in med school, and right now, uh, all the uh, interviews, you remember in the past, you had to fly to wherever the school was, talk to the people, whatever. They're doing it all through Zoom right now. And, you know, I I ask some of the questions that you uh, postulate right there as far as whether they can get the real essence of the student when they're uh, going through that particular thing. And um, I don't I am not sure. I mean, in in the case of of my my daughter and others that I've seen interview, it seems like the warmth of, of face to face communication was coming through. But I've seen even in interviews, I do a lot of interviews and even some of the interviews that I do here that that isn't always apparent because there is a generation of some of us who have grown up. In, in as much as I'm your around your age, I'm a bit older than you are. But I mean, in, in, in as much as we are of uh, relevant ages, some of us are apt to this type of tool, but others see this as a just that a tool, and they act as if they're talking to a tool. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you as if I am face to face with you. That's how I feel when I'm talking through this platform. But others feel that they have to put on a different persona when they're actually talking like this. So don't you think it also has to do with uh, maybe generationally uh, how you use these tools, whether they can give you the points of inflection and, and so forth that you're talking about?
1: I think it does play a role. I mean, even while you and I were talking, I realized my email hadn't been turned off and I didn't want it to disturb us. And so I was trying to, to shut it down and mute it. Right. So I'm diverting my attention and it's because I wanted right. to be focused on you and in the moment. And so those things take away from it. And I'm actually interviewing um, Sherry Turkle, who's a professor at MIT and she, her whole research is around conversation and the role technology plays in it. She's been doing it since technology first came out with computers and certainly she's focused on the generation that grew up with computers. And what's really interesting when you look at the research, both physical research and also anecdotal, is people, when they're on the phone, they're actually be in the same room with each other and texting each other. And they feel more connected that way. They don't feel like they have to have a conversation. They don't feel like they have to make eye contact. And was really interesting is one anecdote was that People said that if you were in the room with me, I didn't feel. I mean, I, I felt more att- attached to the people I was texting back and forth than even though you were in the room. You took a seat back, and that's so backwards of what what I grew up doing. Wait, wait let sure me. Let I, I don't know if up. I
0: understood that, and I don't know if my audience would have understood that. You're saying that two people may be in the same room texting each other in the same room.
1: Yeah, and- you might have a group of three of you in the room together, all all facing each other, even, but you're looking down at the device, and the people on the on the device take precedence over the person standing next to you.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, w- and what does that mean?
1: It's just how, how discombobulated the whole system has become, right? Where I, I thought about it, how can I put that in my own context? So I've certainly been in a restaurant where I was trying to order some food and have the phone keep ringing, the person pick up the phone and answer and take their order. And I'm thinking, I'm standing right here. Why don't I matter? Why does that person on the phone matter more? Why do they get precedence over, over me? Right. So it's the same kind of scenario where it's the people on, the, on your phone, except now, rather than being a voice call, it's actually a, a text based system. They take precedence over the people standing right beside you. And part of that is that group that's grown up texting each other. They're not comfortable with conversation over and over. People talk, this group talks about the fact that they don't know how to have a conversation. They don't understand how to deal with the lulls, the pauses, maybe the uncomfortableness. They're, at, they're better able to do it through uh, text-based communication because, as they put it, I can make sure that it's right before I hit send, as opposed to what you and I are doing. We may miss stuff. We may make a, a mistake. We have to back backtrack a bit, which you and I know is just comfortable conversation. But people that grew up with that text-based communication don't see it that way.
0: You know, I'm on to segue that, <clears throat> that you just said because I think it, it has some, some, some political implications as well. Um, which I don't necessarily understand. I, 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 in, in a lot of the dialogue that I do, I try to tell people um, we have to allow people to we have to give people permission to make mistakes in their communication. You have to you. you, uh, you know, and it's not about the cancel culture or anything like that cancel culture there's a whole, that's an, a whole other discussion. It's just allowing people to be human. Uh, you have thoughts, you make a, you make a mistake, and, and, it, and it can be any, absolutely any type of mistake because the thought process, that's just how it works. Um, I wonder if you just mentioned that the person said they like, th- that people may want to text more because they can correct before they send and isn't that really a sad thing that uh, you think you cannot, you know, I'm a person that make a hell of a lot of mistakes when I talk.
1: It means you're living.
0: Right. And I, would, and, I, and, I, and I would tell people up front, forgive me if I screwed
1: up. Right. Absolutely. That's part of having a conversation is the back and forth and, and realizing, maybe not even realizing you said something that was going to be taken the wrong way. And it is, and you can immediately see the reaction and go, well, sorry, let me say that differently. That's not what I intended and I, so i think for all the all the preciseness of wanting to get it right on text it still comes across in the wrong way because people get it through their filter are they having a bad day you know did they is it somebody going to set them off this word that you intended very innocuously to use they get received in a different way which i think conversation actually lets you correct it immediately but if people are not comfortable having those conversations especially the younger generations who've grown up with technology in their hands the whole time
0: i i think also um Uh, Clint, we have to teach people again, it is okay to screw up, it is okay to make a mistake, and not to judge by one, two, three, four mistakes, judge by, you know, somebody's whole character. Now, how do we, uh, how do teams build triumphantly? How do we build triumphantly? For those of us who are working in teams, uh, communication is an important skill. And teams fail when there's lack of communication. And this can be any kind of team. This can be a political team, my audience. This can be a uh, one working in, in, in a corporation, whatever. What is necessary for a team to be successful? A team that we know is likely to comprise people of different values, different ideologies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I think you have to first and foremost realize that conversation and communication are two different things. And we probably have more than enough communication. The question is, are we getting our message across? Is it coming across in the way we intended? And we do that through conversation. And so the way that I like to, the example I like to use is when we were kids, we probably all played the game called telephone, where you'd have four or five of people lined up in a row. And the first person whispers a secret to the second person who whispers it on down the line. And of course the fun of the game is what person number five says <laughs> is not remotely close to what person number one whispers. Right. And the reason is they are communicating one-to-one, but each individual takes that communication through their own bias, their own life experiences, their own filters, the way that they, the day they're having the way they define words. And they, they take that communication and they receive it and they, They put their own twist on it and pass it on down the line. And of course, what happens, that's the fun of the game, is the message gets mangled. Whereas if you took that saying, that happens in the business world today, where you think you've communicated something well, and the message got mangled. So what would make that better is if each person could then turn back to the previous person and say, well, wait a minute, what does that word mean to you? Because to me, it means this. And when you say go left, do you mean like go left right now or at the stop sign? And by asking these clarifying questions, which take the form of a conversation, are able to get the message, if not perfectly, at least much more aligned. And so what comes out of the end is very similar to what the first person said. So one is to to make sure we're not just having communication, that we are having conversations. Now, the second part of that is, as human beings, we have this burning desire to want to check things off of our to-do list. And the easy way to do that is send you a text message saying it's done. But this is actually pre-pandemic. How many times did you, did you send a voicemail, leave a voicemail for someone or a text message when you could have walked down the hallway and asked the question. And the reason we do that is if I send you a one-way communication, in my mind, checkbox done. Off my plate, now it's somebody else's problem. But if I actually picked up the phone or walked down the hallway and talked to you, I might find out that I'm not done, and I've got three more things on my plate, which I don't really want, right? So we default to those one-way communications, which to me are great things to have. So if you want to have this conversation today and I need to shoot you an email about something, that's fine. But it's look at the whole body of work and say, I need to have conversation as my main focus and then touch around it with the other types of communication available to me.
0: You know, uh, what you just said, I think is so important. I think it's so important. And again, being the political buff, uh, something came to mind. And it's and there, there's this tenet that says, if you're explaining, you're losing. And sadly, that is where politics today one-liners that uh, that grabs onto people. And after you have the one-liners, everybody, as you said it before, they run with it. And playing that game that you spoke about, tell the other person, the other person, the other person, by then it, it's completely mangled to its own belief. And I look, I, I, look at, I look at what just happened in Texas that took more than 10 years to develop. We never asked Texans in general, uh, you know, Texas as a majority that's vo- a vote, the majority voters in Texas, never asked what did it really mean to our power system what we did here, and what we're seeing today is the realization of what occurred. And I mean, uh, in, in all our dialogue, whether it's left or right, and by the way, I'm a lefty. I assume you're not, but that's fine. The thing about it is. I think if one can communicate, there are certain basic values we all have, and then there are certain basic divergences that, can, that while will remain divergence, can be mitigated to have a society. Your thoughts on that?
1: Well, first of all, I like to think I'm a centrist, right? Oh, you are? I'm kind of in the middle. I took
0: you as as someone on the right.
1: (laughs) No, no, I'm definitely not far right or far left. I'm really in the middle. That's my political beliefs. And to the point where, and this is kind of getting around the politics is, I feel like right now what we're doing as a society is we each have our foxhole, we dig in, and we don't have a conversation. We, we think we do. We're just hurling epitaphs back and forth mm-hmm. at each other. We're not really listening, right? So part of a conversation is to actually listen. And what that means is I have to recognize that you have a point of view that may be very different than my point of view, but it's valid to you. And so I have to recognize that point of view has validity in to you and your world. And I don't have to agree with it. I just have to recognize you have it and it's important to you. That's having a conversation as opposed to what people do is they isolate themselves and they they insulate insulate themselves with people just like them, which reinforces their own point of view, and they don't see the other points of view. So what I try to do in my world is I try to have, if I get something on my feed from one of my friends who is far left or far right, and I disagree with there, there's always a, he- a tendency to go, I'm just going to mute this person. That makes me mad. Mm-hmm. And I never do it because I, wanna, I want to understand that somebody has a different point of view than I do, and at least understand wh- why they have that point of view, and if I don't agree with it. And I think that's what we have to do as a society is be able to listen to each other, which we're not doing today.
0: Now, I don't ban anybody on Facebook. I don't ban people. I I I do exactly what you just said. I listen to all points of view. And when uh, when you're when I had to decide, am I going to let's say talk to you or not? I I made all the and it shows you why you don't make assumptions as well, right? I made all these assumptions because I saw the title of the book, I saw Forbes, and I saw all these kinds of things, and I said, you know what? But I still want my audience to be able to see what we always preach. We preach this on Politics Done Right, that we want to have, we're lefties, but we want the open conversation. We want to talk to everybody because, you know, like I tell my audience all the time, I will, you come out with a damn good idea. I'm going to take it away from you and I'm going to make that idea, you know, now now that's a lefty idea. (laughs) But but I'm kidding, but actually I'm not. But uh, that is what, I think that is how we move forward and having you on I thought this would be a refresh a refresher a refreshment to, for people to see people ha- talk about having true conversation talking and talking things out with somebody that doesn't necessarily agree with you now uh, I always ask this as a last question what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't
1: I think one thing that comes to mind is we have to think about to ourselves the difference between intention and results. So they did a survey back in 1997 on US News and World Report. And they surveyed a bunch of people in the US and they asked them the following question what chance would you give the following person to get into heaven? And when I show you the list, tell you the list, of course, it's a quite dated list because it was 97, but you have people on the list. Like, um, let's see who was the worst one. I think on the list was, Oh, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton got 55% chance to get into heaven. And then I guess, uh, Hillary got 58%. She got 3% for putting up a bill. I, that's <laughs> the way I like to say it. <laughs> then Michael Jordan got 65% and Oprah Winfrey got 66%. It's you can indeed buy your way into heaven. Right. <laughs> So, uh, the first, so then they had, what about mother Teresa? So when I heard this, I'm thinking of mother Teresa, it's gotta be like 9900%, right? It was 78%. No, they only gave her a 78% chance of getting into heaven. One person scored higher than 78 at 87%. And that person was the person being surveyed. So think about that. I give myself a better chance of getting into heaven than I gave mother Teresa. And so I thought about wow. why is that? And by the way, the, the person who described this to me when I was reading the story, I, I thought was fantastic the way they put it. He said, so if I get this right, Mother Teresa and I show up at the pearly gate, St. Peter says there's only room for one of you. I look at Mother Teresa and say, excuse me, ma'am, this spot's reserved for me, right? <laughs> and step through. But why is that? And I, and I think the reason that is, is because we judge others based on the results that we actually see. We judge ourselves based off of our intentions. If I intended to do right and do well, I give myself credit for that, even if I never did. We judge others based off of results. So I think we have to be cognizant of that and make sure that we are creating the results we're giving ourselves credit for.
0: Clint Paget, president and CEO of Project Success, Inc., and author of How Teams Triumph managing by commitment. It was my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Please keep communicating, but mostly having conversations. Thanks for having me.